So we're looking this morning at John chapter 14. We're going to start with verse 1. We're going to look at a, a bunch of other scriptures today. But we've been talking through how we are called to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, with the world. The Holy Spirit empowers us for the task of bearing witness to His name. And so we've been in this series about how we can explain the reason for the hope that we have. And I hope that you're realizing, and maybe by my repetition every week, I, I do this on purpose, it's not by accident, but I hope that you're realizing that all the things that we're talking about are connected in some way. These aren't just random ideas and random questions that we're trying to answer, but they actually kind of flow one from another, right? And so we, we started this by talking about God's revelation to us, how God reveals himself. We've talked about his word. We've talked about general revelation or the, the revelation of God that we see in creation, how God's invisible qualities and eternal power are, are known to us by what has been made. We've talked about how God reveals himself in our hearts, in our consciences, um, how um, he shows us what's right from wrong, that he gives us the witness of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit convicts us in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit also reveals the, the truth of God's love for us, and it's by the Spirit that we can cry out, Jesus is Lord and Abba Father, right? So all of these things are, are connected, and, and we've seen over the last few weeks as we've looked at the problem of evil and pain and suffering that it was never God's intent. God, God didn't create evil. Rather, mankind in his freedom rejected God and deviated from God's goodness. We said that, that good was, was um, rooted in God's standard and God's character, and evil is a deviation from that. And so mankind um, rejected the goodness of God and rebelled against God. And so because of God's righteousness, both his love and, and justice, he has to deal with evil in some way. And so our, the evil that we do, the wrong that we do, it separates us from God, and we come under judgment. Those who do wrong deserve punishment. This is the idea of justice. And so we are under God's wrath, we saw last week. If we don't have Christ, we are under God's wrath. We are deserving of punishment. But God isn't happy with that state of affairs, so he seeks to rescue us from that. He wants to rescue us from the power of sin and death. And so, as we talked about resurrection last week, this is what Christ came to do. He died on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty. He paid the price. And now we can have new life in Jesus. And through Jesus, we have access to God the Father. He restores that relationship that was broken, right? So those are all things that we've covered, and this is all one big, long, um, connected series of things. And so today and next week, we're going to get into a, a new question. And that question is, is Jesus the only way to God? Have you ever heard that question posed in the world, maybe on television or as you're talking with people? Have you ever wondered that question yourself? Is Jesus the only way to God? But what we're going to do today is look at um, the scriptures and see what God says in his revealed word about this question. And then next week, we're going to come back and ask some follow-up questions and see um, what, how we might 
come to an understanding of God's fairness and justice as we think about Jesus being the only way to God. So let's start by reading John 14, verses 1 through 10. It says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. This is Jesus talking, by the way. My, my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. All right? So the context here is Jesus on the night that he's betrayed, right? We see in chapter 13 that Jesus gathers the disciples for what's called Last Supper. And he washes their feet. He teaches them about real service and leadership. And then he tells them that he's going to be going away. And he had been preparing them for this idea that that he was going to Jerusalem and he was going to be crucified. And that on the third day he was going to rise again. And so he's telling them that he's going to go and prepare a place for them. He says, "Uh, my father's house has many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm going to come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. And, and so the concern here for Jesus is that he wants his disciples to be with him, right? This is the picture of our relationship with God throughout Scripture. God wants to be our God, and he wants us to be his people, and he says that he's going to dwell among us. Again, repeatedly, over and over, as God makes covenants, with different groups of people, with Abraham and the Israelites, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant. As we see in in, in the book of Revelation, God's desire is that we would be with him and be his people and that he would be our God and that we would live with him, right? So it speaks to, to, to fellowship and relationship being in God's presence, right? And so one of the disciples, Thomas, he says, wait a minute, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says that he is the way and the truth and the life, right? These are em- em- emphatic statements, right? And he tells them that no one comes to the Father except through him. That it's only by Jesus that we have access to God. And Jesus, it says here, is the one who reveals God to us. And they begin to ask these questions, say, show us the Father. And Jesus says, you know, if you really know me, you know my Father as well, right? And this is the picture 
of God revealing himself in Jesus Christ, right? He is the, the word and the flesh. He is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews calls him the exact representation of his being, right? So it is God revealing himself in Jesus. And so if we know him, then we know the Father. They are one. So Jesus here is saying, there is no other way. I'm the one who reveals God to you. And if you want to get to the Father, it's through me. I'm the one who's come to show you who he is, right? So clearly here we have Jesus saying, that he is the way to God. Now, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at a couple of verses here. Acts chapter 4. We'll read verses 10 and 12, but I want to talk about some context. So, in Acts chapter 3 and 4, we have the disciples going up to the temple at the time of prayer. And as they're going, there's a, a beggar sitting outside at the gate. And um, this guy has been lame, and he's not able to walk, and so all he can do is sit there and beg. And so he's begging, and as the disciples walk by, um, the guy asks for money, and they tell him, hey, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And that guy gets up, and he's praising the Lord, and everybody around sees this miracle that's taken place, and they're all amazed at what's going on here. And, and Peter looks at him, he's like, don't look at me as if I did it. I didn't do it. It was Jesus who did it. It's by his name and the power that's in his name that this man was raised and is able to walk. He tells them in chapter 3 as he preaches to them, he says, you guys killed the author of life. Jesus is the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And as he's preaching to them, he says, you, you should repent and you should ret return to God so that your sins could be wiped away and that times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. Right? This is a few verses earlier in chapter 3. So he's telling them that they need to, to change their hearts, change their minds, that they need to turn to God, that there is forgiveness of sins, right? And that, that God will bestow, bestow blessing on them if they trust in him. God will bring renewal through the power of Jesus. So the next day, the disciples get called in to, because the Jewish leaders want to know what's happening here, right? Here's this man who was outside the temple. He was healed. The Jewish leaders are like, what is going on? They bring the disciples in, and they want him to to say, what, what's up? And so here we'll pick up the story in Acts 4.10. It says this. Jump back to 9. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, verse 10, then know this. You and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Right? So they proclaim the power of God, right? 
They say it's, it's, it's by Jesus. By the way, they, this is the second time they've, they've told a group of, of uh, people here, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. And, and they say there's, there's no one else in whom you can find salvation. There's no other name given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so it's important to understand here this message. that there is only one who can rescue us from our sin. There's only one who can rescue us from the power of death. And it's not us. Sometimes we think that if we can just get it right, if we can just, you know, figure out how to make God happy and do all the right things that God will just love us and give us life, that's, that's not the picture of the Bible. Sometimes as we look around at this broken world and we see the consequences of sin, we see the evil that's present, we see the brokenness, we see the pain, we see the hurting people, uh, we wonder, like, well, maybe there's someone who can fix it. And we look to a philanthropist or a politician or some other human hero that can come in and save the day. We long for things to be set right. We have this idea in our hearts of justice Like we see evil in the world, we see wrongdoing, and we go, that's not right. There's something inside of us that screams for justice, and we think, "Um, what can fix it? And the answer is, it's, it's no human institution, no government, no individual person on this earth, but it is Jesus Christ alone who offers us salvation. It is Jesus Christ alone who can deal with the evil that's in our hearts and offer us forgiveness because of his sacrifice on the cross. So Jesus is the Savior. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Reading verses 1 through 6. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the mediator between us and God. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed at the proper time. Okay, so how is it that, that Jesus is our Savior? This kind of expands upon this a little bit. It's that, that he is the mediator, the go-between between humanity and God. It's important that we note here in, in the first part of this, it says that, that God is our Savior and He wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We begin to start to ask the question, is Jesus the only way to God? And I believe that the answer is yes. That's what Scripture teaches. That's what God reveals in His Word. It sounds very exclusive, as if God is saying, you know, I want, if you want to be in my club, you have to know the, the, the password and you have to, to get in and you, know, you have to know the secret way and, and all this kind of stuff. It sounds very much like, like God is trying to, 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 to like get us over here and just exclude everybody else. 
But that's not the picture of God's heart. God isn't like, I just want to save a particular group of people and I only love these people because I want them to be in my club. That, that's, that's not the picture here. God's desire is that everyone experience his saving grace. God's desire, what Scripture says, is that all people would come to a knowledge of the truth. We saw a few weeks ago as we talked about God's judgment, and in the book of Ezekiel, he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is not looking forward to punishing people, but he is just and he will do what is right. But God, in his righteousness, also shows forth love by by sending Christ. And the scripture says right here that he is the ransom for all people. God's desire is to save everyone. But the way that God saves is through Jesus. There is one God. There are no other gods that can save you. They don't exist. 1 Corinthians tells us that, that there are spiritual beings behind those idols, behind those false gods, that those are de- demonic powers. But there is no other God but one. And so you can't find salvation in any other place, in any other system of thought, in any other religion. There is one God, and the way to that God, it says, is Jesus Christ that he is the mediator between God and mankind. And the idea of a mediator is someone who, who goes and reconciles parties. I, I've probably shared this before, but when I was a little kid, they, they taught us in school to be peer mediators. Anybody ever um, heard of those programs before? And so they took us as like third graders, and they did some training about how to help people resolve their conflicts. And so whenever two kids got into a fight, Um, they could fill out this little form and they could go to peer mediation. And then our job as their friends was to sit there and try to help them talk out their problem and come up with the solution that both people agreed upon, right? And so we were bringing these two parties that were arguing with each other together, restoring relationship. That was the goal, at least. On a third grade level, I don't know that that worked, but, you know, that, that... more often than not, they were like, well, I'll just never talk to him again. And the other person was like, I'll just never talk to him again. And as, like, this was crazy because our job was like, we couldn't tell them the answer. They had to come up with it on themselves. It was like, you could just be nice to each other. But um, that's, that's random. That's not related. All right. So our job was, was, was ideally to help them talk through it and get them to a place where they would um, restore the relationship, right? And that's the picture here of Jesus as the mediator. Like, we are at odds with God. We've rebelled against him. We've rejected. But Christ can step in as mediator because he is God in the flesh. He is able to represent us to God. And it says here that he gave himself as a ransom. And the the book of Hebrews talks about him being our high priest. And he makes atonement, as we've discussed over the last few weeks. He makes atonement. He pays the penalty for our sin so that the wrath of God can be satisfied. And then through Christ, our mediator, we can be restored. We can be reconciled to God. And so it's only through Jesus. There just is no other way. Because he's the only one who was God in the flesh who was able to pay the price for our sins. Again, there's no other system of thought or spiritual practices or anything. All the spiritual practices that we do, like coming to church on a Sunday, 
coming and, and worshiping Him, studying His Word, praying at home, praying for one another, um, disciplines of Sabbath and disciplines of rest and disciplines of, of silence. Like, none of those things save us. They're all means by which we fellowship with God. But it is only through Jesus that we can have that fellowship, that relationship with Him. So, so far we've said that He is the way, that He is the Savior, that He is the mediator, and we're going to look at one more today. And that is that Jesus is the life. Jesus is life. Turn with me to John 11, verses 21 through 27. The context here at the beginning of the chapter is Jesus is hanging out with the disciples and his friend Lazarus gets sick. And so they send uh, people to Jesus and, hey, Lazarus is sick, can you come? And Jesus, for whatever reason, he knows what's going to happen, I'm, I'm sure, but he, he delays. And so Jesus shows up a little later than he could have, and by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. And Lazarus' sisters come out and they're like, hey, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We'll pick that story up there in verse 21, and Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. It's another one of these I am statements. The one who believes in me, even though they die, Excuse me, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So go back and we see the story and um, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But it's a statement of Jesus that we're going to focus in on where he says, I am the resurrection and the life and that the one who believes in me will live, right? Jesus is talking about the one who believes in me uh, will live even though they die, right? This is a, a recognition that, that there is still physical death. Death seems to be pictured as a, a series of, of separations, right? Jesus tells Adam in the garden that the day you eat of the free, the day you eat of the, the fruit, you will die, right? And he doesn't physically die that day, but he's separated from God in relationship, the, the giver of life, the author of life, the source of life, and that ultimately his body is subject to decay. So Jesus says, even though, um, if you believe in me, even though there's physical death, ultimately there is eternal life for you, life everlasting. And this is the consistent picture throughout the scriptures, that Jesus is the one who offers us life. John, 1 John 5 uh, 11 through 12, we're talking about some of these truths here. It says that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. And that whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And so this picture here of God being the one who gives eternal life. Now, we want to ask the question, what is eternal life? When we think about eternal life, it's not just existing forever. That's not 
what the Bible means when it says that we will have eternal life. It's not about just being physically present somewhere for eternity. Rather, the Scripture says that eternal life is a relationship with God. Jesus says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only uh, true God, and the one whom you have sent. Right? He's talking about himself. He's praying to the Father, and he wants his disciples to have eternal life. And eternal life is found in fellowship with God. That he is, he is the creator, and that he is the source of everything that is good. And so when we participate in fellowship with him, we have life that is truly life. But if you don't have the Son, it says that you have no life. That's really interesting because think about the tense of these verbs here. Whoever has the Son has life. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son, right? So this picture, sometimes we think about eternal life as being out there in the future somewhere. But if eternal life is about fellowship with God, and that life continues forever, even though our physical bodies die, Jesus says that there's going to be resurrection, right? And he proves it by raising Lazarus from the dead. God proves it by raising Jesus from the dead. Um, we have that life now. If we have fellowship with God, we have that eternal life even now. And Jesus, this idea is just, again, all throughout Scripture. In, in John chapter 3, verse 36, we have this, this statement. And John is teaching us about Jesus. He says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Statement about faith in the Son of God. Remember, belief or, or faith is all about trust, right? It's about this personal relationship that we, we trust that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he will do. So whoever trusts in Jesus has presently eternal life. But on the flip side of that, whoever rejects the Son will not see life. And this word rejects means um, a lack of trust or, or disobedience. Like we're not willing to, to follow. We're not, we're not willing to commit ourselves to him. We're not willing to entrust ourselves to him. Uh, but whoever rejects him will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. If we refuse Christ as God's way of pardon for sin, then we remain under judgment. We remain guilty. We remain liable to punishment. We must pay the penalty if we don't accept his payment for our penalty. And so, as I as we've said over and over, the, the wages of sin is death. If we do evil, if we do wrong, we deserve death. This separation from God, we're under his wrath. But, the scripture says, if you have Jesus, you have life. So, we're going to stop here today as we ask this question, is Jesus the only way to God? We've spent a great deal of time looking at the Scriptures and seeing what God has to say about this question. Now, there are lots of, um, of questions that might be raised because of this. And next week, what we're going to do is look at how we might answer some people who say, yeah, but what about? 
or is that really right, or is that really fair, or, or whatever those questions that arise in us as human beings who want to be our own God sometimes. Um, opponents of God would say, that's not right, that's not fair. We're going to dig into how we might respond to those and be able to give an explanation for the reason that, of the hope that we have. But today, we just want to look at what does Scripture say? What does God reveal about this question? And so we ask the question, is Jesus the only way to God? And the answer is yes. It's not about being a good person. It's not about understanding theology and being able to like, quote Bible scriptures. It's not about going to church or anything else. It's not about finding um, uh, rescue and deliverance in some other human being or some human institution or group. Jesus says that he is the way and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Acts 4.12, we said, there's no other name by which humanity must be saved. There's no one else who can because he is the mediator between God and humanity. It's only because of his unique act in paying the ransom for our sins that we are able to have access to God. He is the go-between between us and the Father. And the eternal life, fellowship with God, not just living someday in some imagined paradise. That's not the picture here that the Bible preaches about heaven. But eternal life is about fellowship with God, the author and source of life and the giver of everything that is good. Eternal life is received through trust in Jesus. It is Jesus who reveals the Father to us, and it's only by his work that anyone can be saved. It's through his sacrifice. And so the question that we have for us today individually is, are we, in fellowship with Jesus, the one who gives us access to God? Are we walking in his life? Again, next week we'll ask a few more questions. But are we, as individuals, trusting that he is the only one who can save? And are we living that out? And do we really believe it? Like, if I really believe that, then... then Maybe I need to change the way I go about my life. Maybe I need to change the way that I interact with other people. Maybe I need to change the way that I love and, 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 and show God's grace and mercy because I want people to know that Jesus is the one who can save and that it's only through Him and through faith in Him that there can be rescue from the brokenness and the evil and the sin and death that we see around us. That God's plan of salvation, God's plan of redemption would be on our lips and in our hearts that we would share this good news that Jesus is the one who can save. Would you pray with me today? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask for your wisdom and guidance. God, your scripture says that you have called us to bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would not ignore that task, that we would not take that command flippantly, Lord, that, that we would take it seriously. Because we know, Lord, that there is life on the line. Lord, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to take hold of the life that you have for us and to share that life with the people around us that they could experience your joy and your peace, your restoration 
and the healing that is offered through Jesus. Because there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. God, work your will in us as you desire to save all people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.